Welcome back, I'm Ian Masters, and this is Background Briefing, available 24-7 at backgroundbriefing.org. And joining us now is Christine Fair, who's a professor of security studies program within Georgetown University's Edmund A. Walsh School of Foreign Service. She previously served as a political officer with the United Nations Assistance Mission in, to Afghanistan in Kabul and is a specialist on both India and Pakistan and the author of Fighting to the End, Pakistan's Army's Way of War. And in their own words, understanding Lashkar-e-Taiba, she speaks and reads Hindi, Urdu and Punjabi, and has a recent article at Lawfare, The Deep Roots of the India-Canada Diplomatic Rift, and another at Foreign Policy, India's spat with Canada is a win-win situation for Modi. Welcome to Background Briefing, Christine Fair. Thank you for having me as usual. Well, thanks for joining us, Chris. And uh, obviously there was the murder of the Sikh activist Nijar in in British Columbia in Canada. And Prime Minister Trudeau in on September the 18th went public and to before the Canadian Parliament said he had credible evidence that there was an Indian hit squad, whether or not it was associated with the RAW, the research analysis wing, uh, the intelligence service of India, we don't know. But now we have an incident here in the United States that's similar, where a a Sikh activist, again, uh, Poonan, who's with Sikhs for Justice, and we've been in touch with him, as a matter of fact, this has led the United States government, uh, the National Security Council and President Biden, to uh, protest to Modi and the Indian government about the possibility of a planned assassination of a Sikh activist on American soil. That in itself is pretty brazen. Do you think that is really what's happening here, Chris? So I can't say for sure. But what I will say, um, I think that it's highly likely that they did so in Canada. I know that Panun is a high-level target uh, for India. India has been asking the United States for con- for many years now, because I, I think you know that um, I've been working on the Khalistan issue for many decades. Um, most people don't know that. They generally know my work on Pakistan. So, uh, And just, just for the benefit of the audience, Khalistan is the, is the Sikh homeland that they want to carve out in Punjab, which Khalistan stands for land of the pure. Yeah, and for the cynics, Kali means empty and San means land. So some cynics will dismiss it as the empty land. So, yeah, the, the uh, terrorist movement for an independent Sikh state goes back to the 1980s. Um, Panu, in particular, he has, as you noted, uh, six, six for justice. He has been a target of the Indian government for some time. They've asked the United States to uh, list Six for Justice as a terrorist organization. And the United States has, has largely, politely den- uh, denied these requests by India. Largely, the United States sees him as operating within the remit of protected speech. Now, I've been studying this guy for quite some years, and I'll, I'm going to tell you very bluntly that some of his speech is clearly not protected, right? Um, he has been behind billboards that have called for direct <laughs> violence against Indian diplomats as well as uh, Indian diplomatic facilities in the United States, Canada, and elsewhere. That kind of speech is not protected. And so from my point of view, the United States has not adequately taken seriously uh, India's concerns. There is a Sikh legal defense fund, SALDEF, um, and of course they've been very supportive of him. 
for reasons I'm not quite sure, um, given that he has ex- explicitly engaged in calls to violence. So the question arises whether or not India is working through criminal networks to assassinate these Sikh activists such as Najar. Um, there were also two persons of interest who died mysteriously in the United Kingdom. And many of my contacts in the Punjab, and I, you know I spend a lot of time in the Punjab and I speak Punjabi, they're, they're pretty convinced that the Indians had those guys in the UK knocked off. So I, I don't think it's improbable that having successfully assassinated Niger ostensibly, India hasn't bared much of a price for it. In fact, Justin Trudeau has come out looking like an idiot. India um, has particularly Prime Prime Minister Modi. He continues to burnish his strongman credentials. So whether Trudeau has the intelligence um, to show that India assassinated assassinated Nijar, Modi wins. And if Trudeau doesn't have the intelligence, Modi still wins because Modi is basically showing the incompetence and the ineptitude of, as my friends in India say, the white man, (laughs) because this issue is phrased uh, in in colonial terms. So I don't don't think it's improbable, um, given that India hasn't faced any kind of cost um, for allegedly assassinating Nijar, if if they did do that that they would attempt to take out Panu. I know Panu is a very, very high target for the Indians. He is a high-priority individual to eliminate. Well, we've been in touch with Panu, and, and of course he, his condition of being interviewed was he didn't want to talk about what's happening at the U.S. National Security Council and, and the, the National Security Council and also the FBI saying you know he doesn't want to talk about the important stuff that we want to talk about, which is uh, whether or not uh, he was targeted for assassination and what he's up to. And I mean, he, he just wanted to use... Clear. He could he could be just completely fabricating this because this, this guy is not a font of integrity. But we, we, have to, we have to table this as well, that this could just be a fabrication. Right. Well, he basically just wanted to talk about Sikhs for justice. So India has a case, if you go back through history, right, starting in the in the 1980s with, I mean, well, let's talk about that. Well, the, the, the Golden Temple siege and right. that obviously it was actually quite brutal, was it not? At least five to 7,000 civilians were killed. So it's complicated because the reason why there was a Sikh militancy that culminated in Bindranwale who was the Sikh leader that holds himself up in the, in the Golden Temple, in fact, holding him up, holding himself up in the Golden Temple, was Indira Gandhi herself. So Prime Minister Indira Gandhi was a megalomaniac. She had very little regard for uh, democracy. Um, you might see some resemblance between her and another contemporary American um, vying for the presidential uh, race. Um, she wanted power at all costs, and uh, she was essentially using, um, in some states where there was Congress, where there was a a Congress opponent in power at the level of the at the level of the state, she was using a constitutional tool um, by which the governor, who is appointed by the center, could prorogue the state elections. 
And so, for example, she did that in Kashmir. And when her son, after she was assassinated, rigged those elections, galvanized the, the Kashmir insurgency. What she did in the Punjab, um, which was another assault on India's secularism, she wanted to essentially divide the Akali Dal, the Shiromani Akali Dal, which has the unfortunate acronym of SAD. SAD was a Sikh communal party um, that was a serious opponent to the Congress. So she thought that she could uh, basically cause electoral division over SAD's relative moderate position by supporting Bindranwale. At the time, Bindranwale was in jail for the killing of several, what we might say, heterodoxical Sikhs called the Nirankaris. They're sort of like the enemies of Sikhism. And so when I try to explain who Bindranwale was, Bindranwale was like the Zarqawi of Islam, incredibly sectarian, very brutal towards, murderously brutal towards members of the, the Nirankari sect. So he was in prison serving time on charge for murder when she sent one of her emissaries to dispatch him from, from prison. And he did a pretty good job of serving her interests. Some of the members of the Akali Dal uh, veered off into violence um, under his influence. But, but ultimately, she rendered the Akali Dal relatively ineffective at the cost so that's good for her politically. But the cost was high because Bindranwale, once he realized that he had been a pawn of Indira Gandhi, became virulently anti-state. Now, he never himself called for Khalistan, but he is the titular head of the movement that would, that would call for Khalistan. So he set himself up in the Golden Temple. He heavily militarized it. He defaced the Golden Temple. He himself took residence at one of the most sacred of the buildings of the complex, the Akal Takht, which is like the throne of, of, of truth, I guess you might say. Um, and he had established himself um, on a floor of the Akal Takht, which is even higher than the Guru Granth Sahib, which is six sacred scripture. He put holes in the Akal Takht, you know, sort of making parapets where he could shoot. The whole place was turned into a fortress. And, and he was killing people in the Golden Temple. His goons were killing people throughout the Punjab countryside. And Prime Minister Indira Gandhi decided that enough was enough. And I, there's a lot of debate about whether or not she did this deliberately or whether she was just stupid. She chose the day um, when people were celebrating the death of um, the fifth guru, Guru Arjan, which was very significant because Guru Arjan would be one of the first of the, of the 10 gurus to really become, um, to embrace martyrdom and his family was tortured. So in Sikh martyrology, he is a pivotal figure. And so martyring so many Sikhs on the day to commemorate Guru Arjun's martyrdom was, you know, be just so enraging for so many Sikhs. But because it was Guru Arjun's martyrdom, um, there were, thousands of pilgrims in the temple. And so um, the, the Indian army decided to conduct the raid at night, a very foolish idea because they did not have any night combat capabilities. 
and they had surprisingly little intelligence on the fortifications of the temple, which is really unforgivable because the temple was always open to the public, right? Um, They just simply failed. And so they didn't take the temple um, and what they thought by morning. Um, In fact, this went on for for several days. Um, They also engaged in uh, mop-up, so-called mop-up operations throughout the countryside. And when it was all said and done, of course, Bindrinwale was dead. Many of his chief lieutenants were dead, as were thousands of civilians. And there's a lot of debate over the number of civilians that died. But um, if there wasn't a, a global, if there wasn't a globally supported sick insurgency before the Golden Temple raid, there was afterwards. So what's happened um, in the, after the Golden Temple raid, a variety of sick militant groups took up the call explicitly for Khalistan. And they they ravaged the Punjab. Probably 25, 35,000 people were killed. And so as a result of that, many Sikhs left for Britain. They particularly went to Canada. That's been a very old, um, old, there's old diaspora and uh, ties with Canada and to the United States. And And that's how you have so much Khalistani activism in the diaspora, but I can tell you today in the Punjab, there is no appetite for Khalistan whatsoever. Right. Just in the last couple of minutes then, Chris Fair, obviously in response to what happened in the, with the Golden Temple, the, the Sikh bodyguards of uh, Indira Gandhi, Gandhi assassinated her, and then an Air India plane in June of 85 was bombed. and Yeah, so there were several sequelae. So as, as you noted, after Operation Blue Star, her Sikh bodyguards assassinated her. Congress goons, by Congress, of course, that's her political party. Congress goons organized a massive pogrom. And uh, exact death toll is uncertain, but tens of thousands of Sikhs in Delhi and elsewhere, obviously these were innocent Sikhs. They had nothing to do with it. The police were involved um, in, in terms of facilitating the violence. Electoral roles were used to identify um, Sikh, Sikh households and, and so forth. And then, as, you know, as a part of this, there was a massive state crackdown against Sikhs. And um, the atrocities of the Sikh militants were matched only by the atrocities of the Sikh uh, security forces. Mass graves are still being found. And, and of course, Sikhs immolate their dead, right? But it, if you, Im- you know, if you're taking into custody um, illegally thousands of six and you're killing them, you just can't dispose of them by burning them. That, that draws attention to the fact that you're, you're immolating. So many of the six that were disappeared were, were just summarily dumped in mass graves. Mm-hmm. And as I said, they, many six fled to the diaspora and the diaspora became, you know, as you also know, I spent a lot of time in Pakistan, Pakistani intelligence, was always supporting the, the Khalistani movement. And the ISI operatives, it's strongly believed, and there is at least um, some forms of evidence that suggest that the ISI has been very busy cultivating Sikhs in the diaspora. So going to your point about the 1985 um, Air India, I think it was 184, uh, this is where Justin Trudeau's father really screwed the pooch. Um, India had been asking for the terrorists behind that bombing. And um, Pierre Trudeau, he declined. 
And the reason he gave for declining was that he didn't think Prime Minister Indira Gandhi was adequately referential to the Queen of England. And he denied it. And then the fellow, as we well know, um, brought down Air India 184. And so there's India has issues with Canada because it has so long harbored so many of these six activists for Kalapan. But it, it also has a very specific Trudeau problem, first with Pierre Trudeau, but also with Justin Trudeau, who has made Canadian six sort of his niche constituency. And he will be found engaging in all sorts of sick cultural, political, and social activities, including activities that venerate the so-called martyrs, um, as, as they're called by Sikh militants, uh, who assassinated Indira Gandhi. Well, Chris, we've run out of time, but I appreciate this important and cogent history. And of course, at the moment, this is a bad time with U.S. relations with Modi, simply because the U.S. and the and India are working together on the Quad, and they're also trying to find ways to confront China or to con- even contain China, as the Chinese say. So. This could not be yep. happening at a worse time. Uh, well, actually, Ian, let me just push back. For India, it's the best time, right? Because India learned from Nijar that India is more important than Canada. It also learned that the United States wasn't going to do a damn thing about it. So from India's point of view, this is the best time to do it. You don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. Right now, the U.S. is India. And, and in some ways, the U.S. needs India more than India needs the United States. And that's a powerful argument uh, for taking out these guys now while India has the leverage. Well, Christine Fair, I thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you, Ian. Well, again, I've been speaking with Christine Fair, who's a professor of security studies program within Georgetown University's Edmund A. Walsh School of Foreign Service. She previously served as a political officer with the United Nations Assistance Mission in, to Afghanistan in Kabul and is a specialist on both India and Pakistan and the author of Fighting to the End, Pakistan's Army's Way of War. And in their own words, understanding Lashkar-e-Taiba, she speaks and reads Hindi, Urdu and Punjabi, and has a recent article at Lawfare, The Deep Roots of the India-Canada Diplomatic Rift, and another at Foreign Policy, India's spat with Canada is a win-win situation for Modi.